Ahoy there, shipmates! This is Captain Trash from the Port Phillip Echo Center in St. Kilder. Did you ever hear the crow in the sky going, Ah! 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 That stands for reuse, reuse, recycle. And you heard it first on 3CR. You're listening to 3CR's Renegade Economist with your host, Carl Fitzgerald, as we investigate the role of landlords, bankers and natural monopolies through the eyes of the commons. Our birthrights, our birthrights. Here we have Cameron Murray. Cameron Murray appearing in Melbourne July 7 on Corruption. July 7, stay tuned. What if I told you there's a network of powerful mates who currently siphon off half Australia's potential wealth? If it wasn't for these mates, we could all be twice as well off. It's like you're working half your life for these mates for nothing. Listeners, for many a day we've talked about the pressures of corruption upon our economy upon our democracy. Well, today uh, we bring back to the show Dr. Cameron Murray, who you've heard uh, present in the past uh, regarding his groundbreaking report, Clean Money in a Dirty System, Relationship Networks and Land Rezoning in Queensland. Uh, Now, Dr. Murray has released the book Game of Mates. Check it at gameofmates.com. And uh, it's really got journalists excited because uh, for once we've had an economist who's quantified the total value of corruption in Australia. Dr. Murray, uh, hit us up with the big numbers. What did you find? G'day, Carl. Yeah, so corruption is a massive industry in Australia. What I looked at was uh, grey or soft corruption, so the totally legal but unethical and costly favour trading that happens every day. And in the the six main industries uh, we looked at for the book, property development, transportation, superannuation, mining, banking, and a couple of others, uh, we reckon it's uh, hundreds of billions dollars a year, definitely over 100, possibly as high as 200 billion, being funneled up the income distribution to the most wealthy as the the vested interests, um, you know, kind of wrap their tentacles tighter uh, and start controlling both the political sphere, uh, the bureaucratic and administrative and, and regulatory sphere, and the corporate sphere of these uh, these major sectors of Australia. So uh, it's 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 not small fry, and uh, sometimes I do feel like the media gets distracted by, you know, $10,000 donation here, a couple of million dollars of a favour there. But when you look systematically at the big picture, this is uh, hundreds of billions every year. That's what's at stake. And and that's what these games are all about. And these little donations that we see and small favours there are just, you know, little hints of a bigger game. It's a bit like watching the football and only seeing the ball when it goes out of the field. Well, when we when it goes out, we see some of that corruption and we see some of those donations. But that game is going on all the time, totally legal, uh, within the boundaries of the law. Most of the mates and insiders get the rules written f- for them 
to allow it to continue. And so it really takes sort of this critical economic lens to see how much that's costing by not talking about what's legal and what's not, but comparing what we're doing and the systems we have in place compared to the world's best where we don't let all that wealth get funneled up to the um, the uh, owners of the banks and the uh, the landlords, where it's shared more widely. And so that's what we try to do. Stop looking at the sideline when the ball goes out and start looking at the action on the field, the everyday, totally legal uh, game of mates that's going on. There are quite some numbers there, and uh, we always talk about this concept of mates here in Australia, but uh, I, I saw an article recently that quoted uh, your book by uh, age journalist Peter Martin, and uh, he, he referenced a study by a couple of American economists, Bagchi and Svenja, that found that Australia... Uh, has the third highest level of wealth via political connections above Indonesia, above uh, Italy, Mexico, Saudi Arabia. Only Colombia and India were worse than Australia. So <laughs> where does so much of this wealth come from, uh, this insider dealings? Uh, where's the majority of it coming from? The main uh, areas are uh, tax avoidance, which Australia is... Uh, is a little bit behind the curve on that globally. Uh, mining, superannuation and banking and property, these are the main areas. And so what you find is because Australia has a narrowing economic base, we're really a houses and holes economy. We, we dig stuff up or we sell property to each other. Um, these, these are uh, industries that are ripe for getting gains from political connections. You know, the winners and losers in these industries are politically chosen, not, not the result of competition and innovation. And so because Australia has this narrow economic base, the winners, uh, you know, in the, in the rich lists usually rise up because of their political connections because they just aren't uh, large and internationally exposed competitive industries that reward innovation here. Uh, what we have a uh, uh, sort of privatised uh, former government or statutory bodies, uh, that sort of stuff, uh, where this monopoly power is granted to the private sector and a few of the uh, executives and people in charge then begin to take advantage of that situation. It's a, it's a little bit unfortunate, that study that Peter Martin uh, referenced. I don't think it's the, the best uh, ever, but it, it does show you that once you start looking into the details that uh, poor old Australia is, is just not doing <laughs> that well. We have this myth of a competitive market and all this sort of stuff, but in in reality, what we have is a bunch of uh, monopoly, privately owned industries that are controlling the economy to a great extent and extracting a lot of economic rent. Uh, you know, we're very far from this economic ideal in most of the major sectors of Australia's economy. Mm. And to think that this has all happened under this neoliberal agenda of uh, free market economics, but really what it's become is a, a free market for uh, this, this frenzy of uh, cronyism that just keeps going and going. And it's a real page turner of a book. And uh, I love the uh, analogy you draw uh, between insiders and outsiders. It's the battle between James on the inside and Bruce uh, looking in from the outside, uh, seeing a, a tiny port 
portion of what's going on. And as you're flicking through the book, there's just so many stories in there that you do clock in your daily feed and, and they do register, but it's it's quite something to have put them all together into, into one book. And uh, the backbone to your analysis is this relationship networking and how you've used game theory to to draw uh, the circle around uh, the, the cronies and uh, and find these common links between them all. Do you want to explain to the listeners exactly how you did that? Sure. Well, I, I started researching grey corruption, I'd call it, which is this uh, totally legal favouritism that goes on every day uh, in politics around the world. And uh, And the trick for me was sort of uh, creating a new framework for how to understand that because it, it's very hidden. Uh, not many people have studied it. To- illegal corruption, the stuff that uh, we can rank in that uh, a lot of uh, international organisations like Transparency International follow and, and report on is, is a different thing. Um, so that's kind of easy. We look if rules were broken or not. So what what you've got to do is think differently. And uh, it took me quite a few years to really uh, study this sort of uh, favor trading systematically and come up and, and simplify it so that it's, it's easier to see. And that's part of the reason for writing the book is to communicate to people, hey, this is, this is what I've learned researching this for four or five years, trying to study gray corruption. Here are some tools for you to help you observe it in action. Um, so I guess the first thing to think about is without what I call a grey gift in the book, which is essentially a decision over who gets an economic rent, so who gets something for nothing, uh, then there's no, no incentive to form these networks at all and trade favours when there's no payoff there. There's nothing that your group can get uh, from the rest of society. But where there are grey gifts, and if we think about the property example, and that's where my sort of major research has been, uh, when a government rezones land, what they're doing is saying, uh, you landowner have the right to build, let's say, a single house. But what we're going to do is change the rules in your favour using the power of the public to let you build a 20-storey commercial office tower. So we're giving you a new property right for nothing. Okay, and that new property right, we know it's got value because that landowner can turn around the next day, sell their property to the next person at a much, much higher value. So that you know, we can calculate that. Mm. Uh, and, and, and so and Fisherman's Bend, Fisherman's Bend here in Victoria is a classic example of that where Paul Little, a former chairman of the Essendon Football Club, had his land rezoned and uh, made some $40 million in uh, rezonings in just 18 months. You know, immense numbers that are uh, uh, being enabled by what uh, economists have been talking about for years, uh, the need to tax away the economic rent to remove the right. honeypot of corruption. So you, you would have noticed in the book, Carl, that I even talk about in the great property development game, very Australian title, the great something, uh, uh, that I do talk about Henry George and this movement from late in the 19th century to, uh, to stop giving away these uh, monopoly rents to landowners. 
Conservatives and and the outcome of that movement in some ways was the system that we have in the ACT at the moment, which I learned a lot about when when we wrote that uh, that report about the ACT land value tax, and uh, and they very smartly charge the landowners for the value gain that they're given. Now that's a really really useful example to keep in mind because the best way to tackle grey corruption in all the sectors we've looked at and all the research I've done is to is to tax or sell the value of these favourable political decisions. Okay? Somebody in politics has to decide how things are going to get done and where things are going to go and who is going to build the road, etc. Okay, these decisions have to be made in an administrative way uh, at some point, but they don't have to have a huge value to the person who, uh, on the other side of the transaction, who gets the contract to build the road, who gets their land rezoned, because you can sell it. And that's why we have competitive tendering for construction contracts rather than just uh asking your mates, please build me a new um, government facility, how much will you charge? No, we do it competitively so that uh, all the potential uh, sellers of uh, this uh, construction bid away their rents. We can do the same in rezoning. And in Sao Paulo, Brazil, they offer additional development rights, certificates for additional construction potential, they call it, and they go and they auction it. So they actually raise the money and then the buyers of these certificates bid away the rents and the rents get captured for the public. And that's a very, very efficient way of raising revenue for the public. What that means on balance is that the more rents you capture um, by selling these political decisions, the less taxes you have to put on wages and and labor incomes and all these inefficient other taxes we have in the economy, okay? You've got a beautiful, efficient way of both raising public revenue and removing the honeypot that all these uh, insiders swarm around and nurture their relationships around. So I think by putting that all, all together, I'm, I'm trying to make a, a politically tempting uh, proposal here uh, because the reality is I want political change and and one, you know, what's there's a, there's a great saying that uh, money talks, right? And so if I'm there saying, look, you're giving away $50 billion in tax revenue from multinational tax avoidance, you're giving away $11 billion a year in, uh, in free rezoning rights to selected uh, landowners who are typically mates of uh, a small group of, uh, of politicians, or you're giving away $20 billion to the small group of bank owners through all these uh, lack of competition and this public control of the banking system or another 20 billion in the superannuation system because you're not going to have a public competitor and you're uh, sort of failing to regulate the private system in the public interest and there are examples internationally where we can can show that uh, even private uh, superannuation systems can be run at one tenth one tenth of the cost of Australia's superannuation system so we pay something like yeah, the da- the Danish system, the typical fee is 0.1 of a percent of the balance a year, and here it's over 1%, 1.1 or 1.2% of the balance per year. So they're managing 10 times the value in these accounts for the same cost as what Australia's doing. And yet, no one really wants to change too much 
Because all the people who benefit are all well connected. They they pull the strings informally through their friendship networks and through the political process. So someone's got to point it out, then we have to start the revolution. <laughs> These mates share implicit favours to capture our wealth. They avoid paying taxes. They get government legislation written for them and they skew industries across the country for their benefit. Mining, property, transportation, banking, health, education. They even have their hands on your mortgage and superannuation. You're on 3CR's Renegade Economist with your host, Carl Fitzgerald. And this week we're with Dr. Cameron Murray, the author of A Game of Mates, discussing the ramifications and size of corruption in the Australian economy. Australia right up there uh, as one of the most corrupt in the world. And uh, we need someone to quantify just how extensive that is. And Dr. Murray has done it in this uh, page turner of a book called Game of Mates. Uh, You need to have a paper and pen next to you as you read this just to uh, uh, study up on this many, many stories that uh, you pick up. And uh, there's a chapter in there called The Other Game of Mates, which uh, just quickly slides through a whole pile of little monopolies that really blew me away in terms of taxi, with the easy money that's made through uh, uh, the monopoly rents in taxi licensing, supermarkets, agriculture, pharmacy was a big one as well. Uh, There's so much that is wrong with this supposed free market, Dr. Murray. That chapter was done like that because we needed to stop at some point and write a book and get the message out because uh, I think we could have gone another couple of years going through every sector of the economy. And I guess one of the messages that I hope that you get in the book is that uh, this formation of networks of mates around these economic honeypots, these economic rents, is totally normal. This happens in every society, throughout history, in every part of the world. What we're trying to do with the book is, is not say that you know, there is a world's best perfect place. Every country, in Denmark, their superannuation system is cheap to run, but they have dodgy property developers and insiders there. So no country's got it right. We're just pointing out just how far we are from any sort of target in terms of uh, regulation of, of economic rents for the people rather than giving it to mates. And so we had to draw the line here, for example, with taxis, with tax avoidance, with pharmacies and medicines, and just say, look, in every sector you look at, there are these games. And in some some sectors it's big like tax avoidance of multinationals who really pull the strings in politics and in some it's a little bit smaller like in taxis and uh, the six billion dollars worth of taxi licenses that australia had prior to uber that six billion dollars worth was pure economic rent that we created because the state licensing systems essentially were designed not to increase the number of taxi licenses if it was going to depress the market price. So there was this ratcheting mechanism designed in place, whereas had we set it up from the beginning and said, do you know what, we're not going to limit the taxi licenses. Anyone who shows up with a few thousand dollars to pay the fee and passes the test can get one then Uber would have had had a real hard time cracking in because there would have been hundreds more taxi licenses around and that $6 billion in value would have been zero. 
So they mm. wouldn't have had such that, that competitive edge when they showed up. And, and what you see as you look into this is all of these government licenses uh, and regulations are a form of protectionism for insiders. And uh, we need to become aware of, of the costs that this uh, adds to uh, our everyday uh, living expenditures. And uh, I just want to switch on to um, just how extensive the game of mates is. And when you look at most of our football clubs, they're dominated by property developers. We've just had in the news this week a shock horror um, uh, scares about uh, Chinese developers donating major money uh, to both uh, Labor and Liberals at the federal level. And then Andrew Robb, senior figure in the Liberal government, uh, resigning, leaving politics the day before the last election and starting up work with another Chinese developer on an $880,000 a year job. I mean, every day these stories are coming out. I saw on your Twitter feed, Cameron, uh, something about Ipswich today. Yeah, that's right. So the Ipswich mayor has resigned. He's in hospital, but he's also under investigation by the Crime and Corruption Commission in Queensland. He allegedly was caught with $50,000 cash in his suitcase flying to Melbourne, meeting with uh, an unknown uh, person. So look, uh, just to reiterate, though, what, what we're really seeing is the, the game of mates, these insiders building their networks to try and secure favours, we're seeing it getting so blatant. It was always there. It was always there. All we're seeing now is when the ball gets kicked out because it's it's getting so aggressive and we're seeing uh, politicians overstep certain uh, boundaries in terms of taking donations, in terms of taking jobs. The, the money, the Chinese money flowing into Australia... That actually says to me a few things. First, those massive donations, uh, the size of donations is somewhat irrelevant in a lot of ways. So that's one of the lessons I've learned. The, it's the symbol. It's, it's uh, Making a donation is symbolic. It's not about if you do something for me, I'll give you 50000 instead of 10000 These guys are just picking numbers out of a hat. They're all, especially the Chinese developers, multi-millionaires and billionaires with a huge network of resources at home behind them. They just have to pick a number that they think is reasonable, 60000 100000 because what they're trying to do is join the game. They're not in the game yet. <laughs> if they were in the game, they wouldn't have to donate so much money. They would be getting the favours for nothing, which is the norm. This is what usually happens. The local insiders get the favours for nothing. When someone new shows up and wants to get a favour, they have to pay the price of entry. That might include donations. It might include hiring lobbyists who are already in the game who will vouch for them. So when I did my study on rezoning, the clean money and dirty system, I found that the clean money part, the political donations, wasn't predictive of any favours given, okay, because the people donating the most weren't as entrenched in the game. They were still trying to get in. Uh, but the system, those networks of relationships, that's what predicted. How many, how many of your friends knew other friends in the industry and in politics? How well connected were you? And the other great predictor was if you hired a professional lobbyist, and these are typically former politicians, um, that was a, they had a 100% success rate in Queensland at getting their clients' land favourably rezoned. And in just my sample of six areas, that was $410 million in their pockets as a gift from the state government to 
the uh, the connected uh, landowners who had hired lobbyists. And you did that by analysing 12,000 landowners and their 163,000 relationships between boards of directors, MPs, ex- their extended families and um, right. membership to exclusive clubs. So it's not just something you're pulling out of the air. This was a detailed study that uh, revealed uh, these preferences uh, determined by the strength of one's social networks. Incredible. That's right, yeah. So so I, I do fear a little bit that the, the recent attention on donations by, for example, new Chinese developers and, for example, Paul Pasali and the councils in Queensland is, is looking at the game from the outside and seeing some money but not turning around or going in and looking from the outside and saying, well, who's getting the favours? You're sort of, let's just imagine it's a, it's a club. There are multiple doors to get in the club. One of those doors is political donations. So if we close one door, people will join the club by hiring lobbyists, by marrying into the right families and sending their kids to the right school and, and giving cushy contracts and, and jobs to the boys. There are many, many other doors. So if we just look at the donations, we're just looking at one door. What we've got to do is not so much look at who's trying to get into the club, but who's already in there and how much of the favours being given. And that's partly what the book is about, saying, look, I can just tell you how much is on the line being given away, how much we could get. I don't really care who came into the club and how they got there. I'm just telling you, this is the money that's at stake once you're in. If we could capture that for the public... Instead, no one would even bother going in. You would solve your political donations concerns Mm. in one foul swoop. And that's what I told the Triple C. Yes, the Queensland Crime and Corruption Commission. Uh, Cameron, I'm actually uh, wanting to add that to the end of this podcast for listeners to be able to uh, delve into in their own time. But uh, yes, uh, Cameron gave a presentation there on uh, some of the the remedies required. And uh, to think that the ACT has for over 30 years charged landowners 75% of the value gains from rezoning, that's what's needed. That raises about $183 in, uh, in taxes uh, in Canberra, but uh, if that was applied to Queensland, uh, there'd be $1.7 billion a year that uh, government could cut from payroll taxes or some other area to uh, bring the right wing on side to recognise that it's these rent seekers who are undoing both our democracy and our economy, and when it's time uh, the game of mates uh, was halted. That's right. Can I just give you an example, Carl? So in the ACT, there's a, there's a corruption inquiry because their statutory body apparently overpaid for some land, three sites at a total of $20 million. And apparently they just overpaid. So they're, they're having an inquiry into something like $5 million of overpayment to three different landowners. Okay, in Queensland, there's one site called Flinders in the Logan City Council area that was uh, rezoned by the state government in that totally legally through their priority development area plan. So they have a, a group in the state government that can just pick and choose sites and say, sorry, councils, the state's in charge of planning here. We want to fast track development and increased density. This one site with one decision was uh, increased in value, in my estimates, between 80 and $100 million. And in the ACT, they would have recovered 75% of that over time as it got developed. And here, we are celebrating it 
as a great measure of progress that there'll be this great development in Logan. Not at all. That owner can turn around tomorrow and sell that site to Lendlease or Stockland or one of the big developers and simply pocket the money they were given. And yet, there's no inquiry, there's no concern, that's nothing. Yet, this is 20 times bigger. And this is one site than the corruption inquiry going on uh, in the ACT uh, regarding their land development system. So, I mean, we could only hope <laughs> that we could one day have uh, have hold people to account over $5 million here or there rather than celebrating the giveaway of hundreds of millions of dollars routinely through our property system. In Australia alone, it all adds up to hundreds of billions of dollars taken out of your pocket. How do I know that? Believe it or not, I'm an economist and I specialise in the study of networks of favouritism. And that was Dr Cameron Murray. Uh, check out his work at the Fresh Economic Thinking blogspot. Find it in the show notes uh, on earthsharing.org.au tomorrow. He's going to be in Melbourne. We're bringing him down on Friday, July 7. Friday, July 7, 4.30pm. Join us for uh, an in-depth look at the, the, the forces of corruption and uh, what uh, we in the reform community can do to really uh, peg back this rampant free-for-all that insiders are driving and pushing uh, this housing bubble, pushing uh, the rents in uh, banking, insurance, superannuation. There is so much to discuss. Join us for a glass of wine afterwards. Uh, yes, yeah, so it's a big story, this one. We've got to keep pushing ahead with it. Uh, it's been around for centuries, this understanding that the rising value of location, location is a core democratic right for each and every one of us. It's been pushed out of the economics textbooks. Uh, economic history has been eradicated and there's virtually no one left telling this story. Luckily, here on 3CR's Airwaves, uh, we keep uh, pushing this barrow, reminding people of uh, this wisdom of the ages. Uh, way back in the 1200s, even, they were talking about it. It even goes through to indigenous culture that uh, whoever enjoys the bounty of the earth should share it with the rest of us. So that's essentially what uh, Cameron Murray's talking about there. If we tax away the honeypot, the windfall gains, then uh, uh, there ain't going to be so much corruption. Listeners, uh, we're going to have to uh, wind things up there here live on uh, 3CR, but uh, podcasts, stay tuned. Uh, Cameron, I've just got to ask you a few more questions. Uh, so thanks, everyone, for listening in. Uh, Stay tuned uh, for more dirty details here on 3CR's Renegade Economist uh, via our podcast stream. Now, Cameron, we can't finish off this discussion without looking at what happened in New South Wales with the Independent uh, Commission Against Crime, similar to the Queensland uh, Crime and Corruption Commission he presented to. But uh, down in New South Wales, it led to, I think, nine MPs resigning in disgrace, a level of corruption. And uh, a lot of this started because uh, Premier Nathan Rees, I think back in 2009, decided to ban donations from property speculators uh, after the assassination of uh, uh, someone by another developer and, and all the hoo-ha surrounding that. And, uh, of course, uh, the Liberal Party quickly designed a, a workaround for that. As you've suggested, uh, if we do ban donations, there'll always be workarounds. And what they did there was uh, developed a, a couple of companies, one called the Millennium uh, Foundation and another one called 8x5. And uh, all donations went to that company and then that, those companies uh, dis- 
distributed the money amongst uh, the Liberal Party. And there was a lot of concern that this uh, money trail uh, led up towards the federal government. Uh, but uh, w- with uh, local councils and state governments having more authority over uh, these planning windfalls, these rezoning windfalls, the golden pentics, it seems like corruption might be more focused at uh, local and state levels. So uh, when you look at what happened with Eddie Obeid and, and the corruption, there's so much of it was uh, the pursuit of these grey gifts, this economic rent that you, you talk about. How are you seeing the evolution of uh, these crime and corruption type commissions? Are they really getting anywhere? What's happening to the policy recommendations? In in some ways, I think there's a little bit of distraction. So typically, the, these types of commissions are tasked with uh, making sure people have followed the law. So you need laws that are actually well written. Uh, if your laws still allow the rents to be given out for free, you're always going to have people trying to skirt other laws to uh, to organise around them. So, yeah, to, to go back to my sort of nightclub analogy, they're, they're looking at who's trying to get into the club and, and not trying to just shut the club down itself by taxing away these economic rents. And so in some ways I think their, their focus is, is slightly off but at least by doing that, they're scaring a lot of people away <laughs> who are trying to open those doors and get access. Um, but those who are already, uh, you know, married into the right families and so on and so forth are going to be favoured uh, perfectly legally uh, for a long while yet. And so, uh, so yes, it's a good thing. Yes, it's scaring off uh, uh, politicians from, from really being a little bit too blatant with their games and flouting some of the laws that we do have. But that's going to always be the temptation while there's such a huge amount of money on the table. And people will just get better. They will learn to follow the laws that are there and then still get those economic rents. They will get better accountants to track their donations and make sure they're they're following the laws. And they'll get better legal advice and then they'll still get the economic rent at the end of the day. So I tried at the Triple C inquiry. They wanted to sort of ping some local councillors in Queensland uh, and some property developers on on not following the donations law precisely and having money in a wrong bank account um, and spending out of a bank account that was not the right campaign account. You know, they were really trying to get them to, uh, you know, capture this grey corruption on a technicality, really, on an accounting technicality. So I tried to steer them in my testimony away from that and saying, look, even if you banned developer donations and everyone complied with it, you wouldn't stop the game because you're still leaving, and in Queensland's case, $1.7 billion on the table a year. Someone is going to organise around that $1.7 billion. Mates and friends and families and, and, and co-workers, there will be politicians being given cushy jobs. That's a huge one that no one wants to talk about. Every senior politician in Queensland has gone on within weeks to work for one of the major property developers as an internal lobbyist. It's totally uh, within the rules and it's much, much more effective than donations. So because you can pay to get in the door or you can pay afterwards as well. You can you can repay favours in the future. So it's not always about... Um, 
you know, paying your donation up front as a type of bribe. It's about ongoing reciprocation of favours given. So these politicians uh, earn, earn a lot in their post-political career. Uh, we could crack down on that as well. And we should, the main focus, though, should be on taxing these gifts. And so the banking levy, for example, is a part attempted at taxing away the free public insurance that we gave out to the banking system worth something like tens of billions of dollars. And so that's a small attempt to, to reclaim some of that uh, economic rent for the public. But the other thing I, I try and warn about in the book is that when you, you when you start focusing on the rents, these grey gifts and their huge value, and not on these administrative and accounting technicalities, that's, that's when these groups of mates really uh, coordinate and activate and try and shut down change. Um, you won't see a TV ad campaign against uh, banning developer donations, okay, because that seems reasonable, but you will see one if the Queensland government proposed to charge like the ACT does for value gains from rezoning. You will see these industry groups, the insiders, everyone will activate who's got an interest in keeping the game going to defend their territory, to defend their freebies. So um, that's when you know you're making progress because you're really, really pissing them off. Um, (laughs) If they're not that upset that they're spending tens of billions of dollars uh, on media, lobbying, uh, you know, all that sort of stuff, then you've sort of missed your mark. Um, you're still skirting around the edges. You haven't taken back that that honeypot, those economic rents for yourself or for the public. Well, Cameron Murray, thanks so much for spending time here with us on uh, 3CR's Renegade Economist. Uh, There's so much more we could discuss, but uh, all I can recommend, dear listeners, is grab a copy of The Gamer Mates. Uh, The Kindle's there to download. Uh, uh, Grab a paperback uh, copy as well. But, uh, yeah, we've got to get people to study up on this stuff because uh, we're getting ripped off left, right, and center. I haven't read a book that's uh, quantified it and uh, delved into it in so much detail. And as you suggest, there there is so much more that uh, could be written. Cam, I reckon you should definitely set yourself up a Patreon account and get people donating to support your work because uh, we need you here in Victoria. Uh, the whole whole of the country needs further investigation on this sort of work because uh, the corruption commission we've got here down in Victoria does virtually nothing. The terms of reference uh, have uh, cut it off at the knees as uh, Uh, The insiders know that uh, the gig is almost up, so let's hope this uh, internet, uh, the net neutrality continues and we can keep learning online. We can keep uh, uh, these conversations going. Don't be frustrated. Why shouldn't I be? What's wrong? Nothing. You have a range of qualifications, I think, uh, commencing with a Bachelor of Applied Science with major in Property Economics at QUT, Master of Business Research and Environmental Economics from QUT, and also a Doctor of Philosophy majoring in Economics from the University of Queensland. That's right. Um, You're appearing, I think, in response to a notice to attend today. That's right. Can I show you this? Sure thing. 
that a copy of your attendance notice? To the best of my knowledge. Okay, I'll tend to that. Exhibit 100. You uh, responded to an invitation from the Triple um, C and made a uh, submission to this inquiry? That's right. I'll just ask you to confirm this if you wouldn't mind. Not a problem. <laughs> Is that a copy of your submission, Dr Murray? It looks like it to me. Yeah, I'll tend to that. Exhibit 101. Um, you have a special interest, I think, in areas of corruption, property development, property markets. Correct. And environmental economics. That's right. Okay. Um, I'll just ask you to flesh out some features of your submission. Sure thing. Uh, uh, we, um, in the local government area, uh, by virtue of the fact that candidates by and large are not party endorsed, there is a private funding model. So that candidates either fund themselves or obtain funding by way of donations from some other source. That's right. You've commented, I think, uh, on the disadvantages of that model. I guess I've commented on the fact that uh, not knowing the sources of those donations is a problem, but in principle it's, it's not a problem, but the system could be improved to uh, have some public donations so that the, uh, there is a more competitive uh, field of potential candidates rather than those who are likely to succeed attracting the most, uh, the most donations and simply reinforcing their success. Um, so, uh, so there's certainly scope to improve the system and add a public funding element, but per se, uh, private funding, you know, it's, it's not such a bad thing. Okay. If there was a component of public funding, uh, would you favour uh, the continuation of a proportion of private funding and to what extent? I actually think that there's... Whatever rule you come up with about private funding um, is going to have very little effect. Even if you pick a number and say it's $50,000, um, I think that the advantages that would have gone via formal donations will come via other means, so that a cap itself will have very little practical effect on, uh, on those seeking favour um, using donations. They'll find other means instead. That's capable of being circumvented? Is that I, that's my, what you're referring to? That's what I'm suggesting, that a cap on um, private donations will be circumvented. Uh, and we've seen caps on donations in other jurisdictions being avoided by uh, other sorts of gift giving and, and informal agreements. So you're not in favour uh, by virtue of that, of, of capping of uh, donations? I'm in favour if there's a, a legitimate enforcement mechanism and monitoring, but I think what we've seen is that getting that sort of mechanism monitoring and that institutional setup correct is very, very difficult. I would like to have a go at it but I don't think it's going to be a, a, a great solution to the problem we're facing of seeking influence of councillors, um, but it may uh, put some sand in the gears and make it a little bit more difficult uh, to carry out. It's a question of who carries out that enforcement function too, I suppose. Who watches the watches, yes, that's right. Um, 
do you think, would you regard the banning of donations as being realistic as opposed to capping? I think there is a way it's possible. Uh, if, the, if the political will was there and the investment was made to enforce that sort of thing, that it would be fine. But I think that would be circumvented as well through private gift giving, um, other sorts of indirect favouritism and uh, uh, appointments uh, uh, to token, token jobs, that sort of thing, which are just a way to funnel cash. Uh, there will be many, many alternative ways to get around that. Um, but if you want to do it, as I said, anything you do to put sand in the gears of favouritism, uh, I would support. There's certain uh, forms of donor or vehicles of donation that you've um, uh, uh, submitted against, including uh, donations from uh, uh, trusts being an intermediary between a donor and a, and a recipient. Correct. Well, why do you take that position? Uh, I think if we uh, if we care about political accountability, we have to have some uh, lens through which to see who's being, uh, who's being influenced and how, and trusts are just a way to hide where the money's coming from. I actually spent uh, four years researching the political connections of landowners in Queensland. Uh, I looked at uh, 12,000 different landowners. I had 163,000 relationships in my network from corporate relationships, uh, cross directorships on boards of directors. And the thing that held me up was when a trust owned the land and I couldn't find out uh, who was behind it, or when a trust donated, and that's where I got stuck. So if anyone's seeking to investigate things, you, you, it's just a dead end. So that's, that's why I think uh, uh, it, it either should be banned or we could even look further about the nature of trust structures themselves. What was the purpose of the research of which you spoke? So the research I did as part of my, my PhD looked at whether I could predict favourable land rezoning uh, from political donations or relationship networks of the landowners, uh, taking the view that where the boundary was drawn uh, on the map is a decision about who wins a windfall gain on one side of that line and got rezoned and who loses. And now if it was a characteristic of the land, we should see that the land would be somewhat different, different in size, something like that, because all of my land was next door or across the road. But in fact, what I found is that you can predict where the boundary get, gets drawn by the relationship network of the landowner, how well connected they are to a, what I would call a corporate and political network in Queensland, those who are on, cross, on, on boards of companies together, those who've worked in companies that, in my case, was the ULDA that did the land rezoning, a state uh, body, uh, those, those landowners that uh, were employees at the ULDA had worked for them before, that was a good predictor those who employed professional lobbyists. In my data, the professional lobbyists had a 100% success rate at making sure your land got rezoned instead of just missing out. But what, uh, what your previous, uh, the previous witness we had here said is correct, political donations did not predict who got favoured. And that was partly because everyone was donating to both sides of politics. It was, there was just an abundance of, of donations at the state level and I couldn't pick apart whether that donation was leading to that favour because there were plenty of donations they gave that didn't lead, lead to the favour. So uh, in my view that it was really this, it's, it's not really the donations, but it's everything else that goes alongside them. All those alternatives to donations, the professional lobbyists, uh, hiring former politicians to sit on your board um, as in-house lobbyists. I mean, the list is as long as my arm of former politicians in Queensland who work for property developers internally. They get to avoid being on the lobbyist register 
because you have to be a professional lobbyist to be on the register, yet they can leave politics on Friday and work for, I know Campbell Newman works for Springfield Land Corporation, one of your witnesses uh, is a 25% owner of them, the next day. And of course there's, there's nothing, uh, nothing we're talking about today is going to stop that, but that's where the real uh, influence comes from. Not from donations? Donations. Uh, I've actually done a lot of other research on donations about who's donating, what proportions they give to what political party and at what time, not at so much at the local level, but at the state and federal level. What you find in Australia is 60% of the donation value comes from donors who donate equally to both parties. Okay, So they're not about getting the person who's aligned with them politically into power. They're about signalling to whoever gets in power, if you do me a favour, my credit's good and I'll sort you out later. Okay, So donations are just one way to start this chain of reciprocity going. Um, plenty of examples I've looked at in Queensland. One is Flinders, which is a land development uh, in Logan City Council. Um, in that situation, the landowner didn't donate a cent. Instead, they would drive the councillors around. What would you like to see here? What would you like to see here? Come to my, come to my meeting. Come to my vision, vision meeting where I'll, I'll employ planners to tell you what we can build here, these grand visions. Uh, employed professional lobbyists, and they got their land rezoned. They did everything but donations. So whatever, whatever rules we change as a result of this inquiry would have had absolutely zero effect. And I estimate that they got a gain of around 80 to $100 million from a planning decision after doing that. Well, to sum it up correctly, you, you uh, would consider that networking uh, uh, to be a, and lobbying to be, uh, have far more leverage than donations? Correct. Although donations, I think you said, have their place in establishing a, re a relationship Correct. of reciprocity? So uh, my research suggests that donations are more like a ticket to entry for newcomers to this relationship network. So if you're not already at the table and well entrenched, then you need to work your way towards the centre. And so you would want to donate. And what we see in the dona donations data is that the largest donors these days are, for example, new Chinese developers. They're donat donating the most because they're not, they're not at the table, they're not in the network, they have to buy their way in. Okay, so one of the former witnesses here, Bob Sharpless, said we should ban developer donations. Well, that would suit him perfectly because he's already got a seat at the table. He's already right in the middle of the network. That stops any new kids on the block coming to enter the network and compete for the political favours. Um. You've raised an interesting matter in your submission by referring to what you call the value of council decisions. Correct. Uh, and that you, you, you make the point that um, valuable decisions are made by councils to confer benefits um, effectively for nothing. Correct. Could, would you like to explain that for us? Sure. So uh, the reason we're here today, the reason New South Wales had an inquiry into rezoning and developer donations was because uh, we've decided as a community that giving additional property rights to particular landowners should be done for free instead of at market prices. You talk about zoning, for example? Correct. So you can imagine that I own a plot of land and I can be, build a single unit dwelling. Okay. When the rule changes so I can build a 10-storey building, that's a new property right that attaches to that land that is owned by the community that should be sold. Okay. And there are examples in Brazil where they auction 
additional rights to develop at higher densities, and you set they're sold at market prices, and landowners must compete with each other to bid for that, and they essentially sell it to them. In the ACT, um, they don't have auctions. Instead, they charge 75% of the value gain as a tax. Okay, so it's essentially a, uh, a, a sale at a 25% at a discount. And so if we had that sort of system, the pie that everybody is fighting over and that everybody's trying to work their networks and get those favours would be much, much smaller. It'd be 75% smaller. And I've calculated that if we just adopted the ACT system, that's $1.7 billion across Queensland that could be raised that is instead given away to selected landowners for free. Just to develop a little more so sure. we understand the ACT model. Correct. Yep. Um, uh, upon rezoning. No. Upon, sorry, sorry to interrupt. No, no. no you, you can do any zoning decision you like, draw any lines on any map, but when someone takes their land from its current use and seeks permission to change the use, so the equivalent in Queensland would be a, an application for material change of use, the, uh, the assessor of that set checks if it's consistent with the plan and then says, well, your land at this new use is worth maybe $3 million. Your <laughs> land at the old use was worth $1 million. We'll send you a bill for 75% of the difference and then stamp your approval. So it happens how, how at the... valuation undertaken? So this internal value is very much like how annual land valuations are undertaken. Uh, and, you know, they're, they're done by valuers who defend their valuations in court. Um. All right, that's one model, the um, right. uh, working out current value as opposed to rezoned value and, and yep. linking a tax to the difference. Correct. What's the, uh, the other model? You mentioned uh, Brazil, I think. That's right. So instead of drawing that line on the map and rezoning, you draw the line and say you can build to that um, additional density, but you must come and buy the additional right at, um, to get that additional density. So if you are a light industrial user and you want to develop, for example, here at New Farm or at West End or something like that, and you want to develop a 12-storey building, you come and buy that off at our auctions. And we're going to auction the right, for example, um, each 10,000 square metres of, of additional development right of this use will be auctioned at the end of each month. And all the developers will line up and bid for that right. And once they own that right, then they can then build to the, to the plan. Well, there are, those suggestions would um, have an attraction in terms of raising revenue. Correct. Do they have an attraction in terms of uh, limitation of corruption or the perception of it? Well, the attraction is that when the pie is radically shrunk, there's a lot less to um, go and uh, nurture your relationships over. So rather than getting, uh, for example, the case at Flinders I, I talked about, Undulla is the suburb it's in, Rather than 80 or 100 million dollars of value, it would only be 15 or 20 million dollars that additional gain uh, from the decision, and so you would invest a lot less time for a 10 or 15 or 20 million dollar pot in nurturing those relationships and hiring the lobbyists and jumping through all those hoops than you would for a 80 or 100 million dollar pot. Um, 
Well, you are favor, in favour of uh, that kind of a system uh, by the sound of it? My general view is uh, when you have uh, things of large private value that are given away with discretion through the political system, you should do your best to charge the market value for them. Otherwise, it's a bit like running a lottery and having it decided by a committee. Of course, the relatives of that committee are always going to end up uh, winning that lottery. Uh, but if we reduce that, sorry, if we do reduce that value down massively, uh, we at least... Uh, have less um, willingness to participate. Uh, there's less motivation. There's less, uh, you know, I could spend 15 million lobbying for 100 million, um, but let's say we taxed it 85%, then I wouldn't bother spending the 15. I would have spent all my gains, if you know what I mean. Are there any downsides then to um, uh, levying some sort of uh, tax or uh, impost? So on, the, on, on the downside is the downside, yeah. Land value, yeah. The downside is it's political suicide. There was one imposed in Sydney in the 19, early 1970s that lasted three years. It was a 30% tax on the gain from rural to urban uh, transition of land. Um, basically, all the wealthy landowners who wanted to bank on uh, on subdividing their land uh, then mobilised their efforts to get rid of the government and 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 make sure that that was squashed. Uh, so in the ACT, I guess they have the advantage that it was uh, implemented at an opportune time and, of course, their land title system has a slightly different history to the rest of the states uh, in terms of the establishment of um, the territory and the use of taxation of land and the management of land to raise funds to build the city. So they have a quite a unique political situation. Uh, I can tell you now, if you propose this in Queensland, I've interviewed former senior bureaucrats and people who've worked for politicians in Queensland, and they've told me if you raise the word betterment tax, which is what it's traditionally known as, in these circles, no one will talk to you again. You'll be shunned. It's a signal that you're not part of this group, this favoured group. As a that, politician? Pardon me? As, as a politician? A, correct. Or councillor? Uh, politician, councillor, anyone who's already within those groups, who's, who realises that they're giving favours worth a lot of money to other people who are going to repay them with favours in the future, whether directly or indirectly, um, a, they will think it's bad and they'll believe that it's bad for some particular reason. Um, these, these, you know, no, these people are no different to you and me. They're just in a different social situation. Um, they'll believe it's bad um, and they, they won't want to do it because it will upset their networks, right? It will upset their friends and family. So they'll believe what they say. It must be bad. And if, if you proposed it, so if... Uh, if the Queensland government proposed it tomorrow, you would see a backlash from the property industry, the Stocklands, the Lend Leases. Uh, Bob Sharpless would surely be involved at funding a massive campaign to get rid of the government that, that proposed that. And of course, it would be worth $1.7 billion a year to them to, to run that campaign, because that's what uh, my calculations show is what's going to be given up, this $1.7 billion freebie. Well, uh, you, you point to some differences um, between Queensland and the ACT in terms of land holdings, but even allowing for that, how, how long has that system been in operation in the ACT? So the value, uh, the tax on the value gain since 1971. Uh, well, has that resistance that you've spoken of from the property industry been evident there? So, as I said, the political opportunity was right because the conversion of rural to urban uses in the ACT is only done by the ACT government because they, um, they only uh, have leasehold rural land. In fact, all their land's leasehold, but for urban uses it's 99 years. And so uh, there isn't 
a development lobby and there's never been a big development lobby in the ACT purely because it constructed originally uh, a system of land titles that prohibited land banking and speculation on changes of use, even from uh, 1911 or whenever it was uh, first implemented. Okay. Thanks, Dr. Murray. That's all. Thank Thanks, you. Dr. Murray. Thanks for coming. Uh, you're excused. Thank you. Nothing. breakdown of world finance is that essentially the crooks took over and were promoted on the guise that crime is the free market. Crime is the American way. Crime is what the Washington consensus supports. Uh, yeah.